Hello, everyone. Welcome to Random Encounter. I'm John O'Logan, and I am coming to you live, not really, from beautiful New Glasgow, Nova Scotia. Uh, I am here visiting my parents, and uh, I've been here for two and a half weeks. It has been wonderful. So if you're wondering why I sound a little bit different, it's because I'm using my travel mic right now instead of my my big mic arm mic that... Uh, that you know makes me sound good. So this one's just a it's just a little tiny snowflake blue snowflake mic and I love it, but if you wonder why, that's the reason. So I've been spending the last two and a half weeks I've been uh, I've been organizing my old Lego. I had like three giant tins of Lego in my little storage cupboard from when I was a kid. So I took them and I dumped them all out on the floor and I've been trying to build as many sets as I can using them. And it's been slow going because I've I've lost some pieces over the last three decades. So that's been fun. Uh, and I've been visiting my parents' cottage and I've been watching just tons and tons of documentaries. Uh, I just finished The Imagineering Story. Uh, it was on Disney Plus. And it is, if you are a fan of Disney theme parks or like if you like theme park, uh, YouTube, that kind of thing, it's a pretty awesome six-part miniseries about Imagineering. And I recommend it highly. So let's just jump in here. And uh, I just want to introduce all of our guests. Uh, and they all have games on their mind this week. So first up is an RPG fan podcasting legend, Alana. Alana, how are you doing? A podcasting legend? Come on. Like, that's not even the first thing I do here, but I appreciate it. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I am fine. I am I am currently in the spare bedroom in my house because it is the only place that has me isolated from my parents where I can record and it is very hot. Yep. Yep. All my windows are shut. I live on a main road, so I can completely get you and it's pretty warm here for england it's like 21 celsius uh, first eight o'clock in the evening that's fairly warm that is fairly warm uh it's pretty warm here it's 26 but it is also because we're on the water it is incredibly humid yep so it's like even if it's like 18 degrees you're still sweating <laughs> because it's just you're it's like you're walking through it's you're trying to walk through the air like you need to put effort into it oh yeah i know that I live near the beach so yeah completely understand yeah the climate where you are and the climate where i am nova scotia i mean when the when the scots and the english arrived in nova scotia they were like hey this this is just like this home this feels is great familiar yeah let's colonize it or something like that sounds like everything we've ever done so yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Up next, uh, so we have our returning champion for this week from our Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster, Audra. Hello there. How you doing? Hello. I'm doing good. You have just been racking up the reviews the last few <laughs> weeks. Um, you are absolutely. You and Bob are just killing it lately with just like churning them out. Uh, he's probably going to defeat me. <laughs> well, well, I just, I'm just going to have to assign you some more games then. <laughs> And you, uh, we're not going to talk about it today, but you just posted a uh, Chrono Trigger retro review. Yes. Yeah, we've, we're not going to talk about it here because it turns out that A, we're not retro encounter, and B, I think everyone's talked about uh, Chrono Trigger enough for, well, that's not true. I could talk about Chrono Trigger forever. <laughs> but uh, did you like it? Yes, I did. I thought you might. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to talk about a few games, a few reviews from you. And uh, finally, we have the person who can see one week in the future to tell us all the new games that are coming our way. Quentin O'Connor. Hi. Yeah, I, I got to say I'm honored to be on this podcast with a couple of uh, podcast legends who are also um, incredibly warm <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and an RPG fan review finalist in Audra. Oh. Um, I'm just here telling the future. I don't I don't really have anything like that going for me, but I'll I'll do my best. I hope everyone's good. Of course you have something going for you because you have just you were just published a review for a game that a lot of people were both eagerly awaiting and silently dreading. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so why don't we just, like, jump right in. I want to talk about Zelda Skyward Sword. Quentin has just published a review for it, 
And Quentin, you actually uh, rather enjoyed the game. In fact, uh, you gave it an 85, which some people would dispute and some people would celebrate and some people would say that you're a sellout. Um, where would you come down on that? <laughs> Look, this game is controversial, okay? It doesn't, you could, Quentin, you could have given it 185 or like a 50 and there would still be people angry at you for it. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Zelda mm-hmm. fans. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I got to say, um, I let me just lead in by saying, I remember when the game first came out and the uh you know the the critic score the critical scores are like infamously as high as most other zeldas and um so so it was just like riding on the waves of hype that every other console zelda has always gotten and then i was on like game faqs um i know terrible terrible decision (laughs) but i was on there uh regularly at the time and i started noticing these topics that were popping up that were people complaining about the game and at first i was like ah you know that's is just it's game faqs everybody complains about everything but they just didn't go away and then i got my hands on the game a few days later and i was like oh no some of them are valid (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily all of them but quite a few of them. Oh, no. I like the idea that Game FAQs was like the Rotten Tomatoes before there was Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> and and the freaky thing is you can go back into the archives for a lot of these. And um, now you'll see like a timestamp that's just like 16 years ago. And it's just like, oh, wow. What are these people doing today? I hope they're all well. <laughs> the internet didn't exist 16 years ago. <laughs> what are you yeah, talking God. about? But anyway, uh, Skyward Sword. Um, yeah, so I went into it the first time, you know, all those years ago. And I had, you know, an opinion of it like everyone else did. Uh, my opinion of the HD remaster is in many ways similar, but in some ways improved. Um, and then in one little way, which I didn't see coming, but, you know, hey, it happens. Maybe diminished just a little bit. Diminished cap? Diminished Ooh. cap. Oh, no. That's, that's oh, no. I'm sorry. No, that's a good one. If we're going to sit here all doing that, then this is going to be a long podcasting. I'm going to need a lot of time to think of something because I'm, I'm tired. Um. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone who doesn't know, because why would you? Because you're not in the RPG fan staff form. Quinn got lost in the woods. Oh, yeah. I got lost in the woods. Yeah. Um. <laughs> That was, uh, you know, that only enhanced the Skyward Sword reviewing experience. I think it was a lot like, you know, jumping onto your uh, loft wing and getting lost down below. Actually, it was nothing like that whatsoever, but, you know, I'm trying. Quentin fell off his loft wing and he was lost in the woods for a while. But it, don't worry, it was a very linear woods. So, <laughs> Oh, oh no, we're just going to jump right into that, are we? Yeah, so, okay, so Skyward Sword, uh, for the uninitiated, I'm going to be careful about spoilers and all that fun stuff, is a mostly linear game in the sense that, I mean, there are many games that are technically more linear than it, but when you go into a Zelda, I think many people who have played other Zelda games are experiencing this sort of almost open world before open world was a term with a lot of them. I, I remember infamously Skyward Sword launched, I think, the same month as Skyrim. And that was just like Skyrim is like celebrating that sort of thing, you know, love it or hate it to the max uh, with with its greats and its lows and all that. And Skyward Sword, meanwhile, was like Nintendo saying, let's make a more just progressive game where everything's more um, sort of sequestered and, and, you know, chopped off from each other. And, you know, it doesn't feel like that in the beginning. I think uh, you kind of start off. And you're thinking, okay, well, this is like, you know, the island that uh, Toon Link was on. This is the village that Twilight Princess uh, Link is, you know, stuck in for a while and all that. And then there's this very enticing concept, which is that there's a world below. 
and you have this lovable bird and you're going to go down there and it's high roll, you know, yay, it's high roll. And, but then you kind of quickly discover that you're going through it kind of one section at a time in a way that it feels more restrictive than any of the high rolls before it, I think. Well, maybe there's a 2D one that I'm not thinking of, but I mean, definitely the 3D ones. And that's still the case. I mean, you know, nobody was expecting this massive, let's turn this into like Skyward of the Wild or whatever, but um, it still feel. I think it feels a little bit more restrictive in 2021 just because of how, how gaming has developed. But yeah, I still really like the game overall. I think it has the strongest story I think part of the part of the boon, I guess, of how linear it was is that there was also this sentiment of like alongside the linearity, let's do more cutscenes than usual. Let's let's kind of, um, you know, go that route. And and the characters, the main characters are just so endearing to me. Link himself has quite a personality. I think the only personality maybe that kind of Trump's that is is Toon Links, but that's just because he's so expressive that you can't help but laugh or cry for him when he makes the upside, you know, happy face or the smirk or all that. But in terms of like, I, I guess, a realistic character, uh, Skyward Swords Link just has so much going on. Uh, you can really feel his connection to Zelda throughout the game. Zelda herself. Um, yeah, she gets, you know, trapped in lots of things like usual, but she I, I thought think- you said no spoilers. Hey. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, she gets trapped in a metaphorical sense, and then we'll stop right there. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, let me... <laughs> all right, minor, minor, tiny spoil in the beginning. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Believe it or not, you don't play a Zelda. Uh, but, um, oh, wow. She still, <laughs> she still has more agency, I think, in the way she's depicted than in a lot of the other ones. And um, and then there's Groose, who is this, this redhead pompadour. He's very proud of his pompadour guy who has his like his his two sidekicks of you know absurd proportions and that sort of thing and he's he's introduced as your rival but he has that whimsical remember at all times this is a nintendo game so we're kind of over the top almost um almost studio ghibli kind of thing going on but in a wonderful way you know as as studio ghibli tends to be and he has an arc like a real arc and you know seeing that uh develop through the game is great so we'll say characters and story. Yay. The linearity. This is, I think, I think I called it like the irony of ironies in the review. This is where things get kind of tricky and murky and, and difficult to, to kind of qualify because the game is just jam packed with content. Technically, every region is like bursting with stuff to interact with um you know just like i I think one of its greatest strengths but then again perhaps its greatest weakness most of the time is that getting to a dungeon feels like almost a dungeon in of itself there are puzzles here puzzles there puzzles all over the place but i think for me and and probably for a lot of people given how divisive this game is it just gets exhausting after a point and Part of that, a big part of that is because you're going to be going through these things a lot, you know, and that's, again, that's just like the spoiler free statement is just expect to see a lot of the same things oftentimes and then to go through and be like, welcome back, time to do more stuff here. And and it just wears thin. I think it really wears thin. And there's a lot of just fetch questiness. And I think that's kind of like the buzz term that's always been applied to it in a point is um, as, as strong as the story is, the execution of it is very um, 
go here and get thing and you could argue that that's kind of like a core to the zelda series but it usually feels more enchanting i guess you could say you know i'm, I'm talking with a lot of subjective stuff here but no i completely understand i mean the the fetch quest idea in a lot of the other games was like go here get the thing you get the thing but on the way back you're like "Ooh, what's that and you go over this way and it's 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 an open world versus a linear directed thing so a fetch quest in a linear directed game is very much a you go here you get the thing and you come right back mm-hmm. yeah it's like you you have a curfew young man you better get back to <laughs> skyloft by nine o'clock uh what are you doing talking to that tree again nothing has changed i guarantee it and i think that's where like that sense of wonder and scale really starts to evaporate um and then, of course, uh, you know, the sword play itself and the overall like motion controls uh, were always this big like epicenter to the game. And I wanted to ask about that, actually, because uh, one of the big, I guess, uh, changes that Nintendo made to this new remaster version of Skyward Sword is though the motion controls are still there, there is now a new control scheme that you can use with an actual controller, which is just a mind blowing innovation. Yeah, but which like I've read your review, but just for the folks out there, which do you prefer personally? Like if you had, if you had your choice, there's, there's a moblin in front of you. They have a club, which one, (laughs) what what are you picking up a controller or are you picking up a joy con? I'm probably picking up a real sword. If this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't count for real moblins, John. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) It's my weakness as a podcast. I never account for real. moblins. (laughs) For real. I would pick up the controller. Uh, I found that, um, and this is sort of something I read around that some people didn't really agree with, but to me, um, occasionally things feel a little awkward and kind of, I don't want to say phoned in, but like as best as they could do. But for the most part, it just felt very smooth to me and it felt like I was playing any of the other ones. And that kind of comes with an asterisk. And I think that's what makes it interesting to me is that I feel better than ever playing the game the way it wasn't originally designed around whatsoever. And it's just very interesting. And I remember for years, a lot of folks were like, they're never going to bring the game back because it can't be done with the motion controls. And Nintendo thrives on, you know, making the impossible possible. And I think they did. But there is something to be said, just this weird feeling that came over me, at least the whole time, saying this game turned out to be better than it was before by abandoning its chief concept. And then I also think that the Joy-Cons Honestly, they just feel a lot more um, intuitive to me and, and better than the Wiimotes did. Mm-hmm. So so you still have this thing where it's like, well, that seems a little better than before. And it's more responsive. Like I'm not, you know, infamously in the original, a lot of people kept getting yelled at saying like, you know, like bring the bring the cursor back to the screen. And it's like, I swear I'm right there. And, you know, so that's a little better, but it's it just doesn't compete, I think, with the controller. And I think it's great that they included that. I'm definitely happy with the controls. Whereas before, um, you know, like I've practiced sword play in real life. So I was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. And it was at points, but then it was just so frustrating in 2011. And I think a lot of us can empathize with that. For sure. Yeah. Like that, you had to, this was the first game that you had to get like the motion plus with, wasn't it, on the Wii, right? That came with it or it was mandatory, wasn't it? Yeah. So it was always like extremely sensitive. Link's arm is always at like a straight 180 degrees angle. And I'm like, no, you've got to like (laughs) wave the sword around and stuff. Um, So like jump in and ask a question on the controls as well. Like um, one of the things I heard or certainly have been hearing is that the camera controls in particular, on a gamepad are incredibly finicky or 
incredibly like weird because i would expect like a joy pad or like like the right stick or the shoulder buttons to be the main control are they did you have any problems with those or yeah i think when i actually when i was alluding earlier to like a, a few things feeling like they did the best they could but it wasn't quite where it needed to be the camera was mm -hmm. was pretty much what i was talking about i remember one of the very very first things you do in the game is there's there's a fella um you know, on top of a, a building um, and he says, uh, hey, we should talk and you should like target me in order to talk. And um, very simple thing. But because of the way the camera was fidgeting and I wasn't accustomed to it yet, I felt I remember specifically having a problem with that when the game first launched on Wii because of the motion controls. And in this case, it was because I was using a controller, but the camera was just taking so much time to get used to. Mm. And then inevitably you start like running away by accident. He's like, hey, it's rude, you know, not to reply to people when they're <laughs> talking to you. And I'm like, hey, it's rude not to have good camera controls. Like, what do you want me to do? It's rude. <laughs> I agree with that. I'm trying, Nintendo. Jeez. No, I, I, I think, you know, I've certainly read that some people had bigger problems with that than I did. And I don't know if I'm just blessed with having adapted to something worse than I realized, which is certainly possible. I mean, there are things sometimes that no one else complains about with controls in games that I have the worst time ever with. So, I, you know, it's subjective. But I wouldn't say it was great. Everything else about the controls was a winner. Cool. How do the new modern controls work exactly? Because, I mean, I know that in the, you know, with the Wiimote, which, and you're right, Alana, the, that was another thing, is the addition of Wii, the, the plus at the bottom, it also made the damn thing way heavier. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was an awkward solution. But, like, how do they simulate the, like, parrying and attacking the right side? Like, how do they simulate that with the new controller? So the, um, the analog sticks uh, become your best friend very quickly. Um, I don't know. Did any of you have ever any of you ever played a uh, like Metal Gear Rising Revengeance? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, it's not it's not extreme like that. They didn't suddenly say like, "Hey, we're going to get platinum games." Expect the Moplins to like come at you with like machine guns and you know. Oh. Your sword would have absolutely no effect if that was, was the case. Gonna say, yeah, oh, <laughs> I want Zelda platinum games now. Don't do that to me. But, well, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> Platinum's what? Platinum's constantly like booked with a million things. I'm sure we'll see it by. 2045 but um yeah no it's not like it suddenly goes crazy on you you're still doing the same movements but one thing and i'm actually i'm you can't see me obviously but i'm picking up my uh gamepad like the switch pro controller that there that's the term um <laughs> i'm picking it up and i'm holding it in my hand to kind of like give my brain the right words and okay so i think it was a long and you said a moment ago like the game would often have you just holding the sword so to speak very rigidly mm -hmm. like um, yeah, yeah. perfect angles and that sort of thing where it just didn't feel right so that that to me is resolved with the sticks because mm -hmm. i think there's something more inherent at least to people who have gamed with controllers to the idea of i'm slashing to the left so i'm going to push this stick to the left and it's not going to feel as weird as if like the game is actually asking you to hold your hand and you realize your arm is doing something that doesn't make much sense. Now, I did try that out with the Joy-Cons as well, of course, and um, it was a little weirder. And I think, uh, you know, I hate to tell people, go out and buy the Switch Pro controller for any particular game because Nintendo loves to upcharge all its peripherals and that sort of thing. But I, I would definitely say if you're going to get Skyward Sword and you're not, like, chomping, you know, at, at the bit to... um 
to try out the motion controls again, get the Switch Pro controller, and then everything feels more fluid. You could do worse than getting the Switch Pro controller for any system, really. So oh, yeah. No, it's it's terrific. And and yeah, no, I mean, I, I heartily recommend it. I just remember when I bought the Switch, and then I realized, ah, Nintendo done did it again, and here's sixty four ninety nine for the controller. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I play a lot of RPGs. Let's just, let's just get this <laughs> out of the way. Yeah, one thing I do want to talk about is, and I think this is where it shines the best, um, I find it captivating that the game is better than its original form by removing things. And what it removes is a ton of the tutorials. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Zelda's version of Clippy. Yes, yes. I, I, you know, it, it came to us at a time, I think, I think I might have write, written this in the review, I'm not sure. It came to us at a time when Nintendo was still banking on the idea that there were a ton of people playing their Wii regularly because they were the, the casual audience that made the Wii sales soar. But I think, you know... I, as all of us probably know, that audience was fickle and it left as soon as, you know, other things came out. And so by the end of the Wii's life, and that's why Skyward Sword, at least partly, I think, you know, didn't sell nearly as well as some of the other ones. Um, the only people that were left were like the people who who needed that sort of handholding the least. Um, <laughs> so so a lot of things, despite how innovative the game was in certain respects, a lot of the time it also kind of came across as, you know, and I hate to say this because it's I'm there's got to be someone out there who who genuinely appreciated all the tutorials. I've just never met them in my life, but it, it felt like <laughs> Babby's first Zelda in this, like every five steps yeah. fee or phi, however, how, how do you guys choose to pronounce that? By the way, let me, let me pause on that. Is it fee or is it phi? I'd say fee. Wouldn't ever, would, I don't know. I'd say fee as well. I think it's because I, I think it's because I read a lot of Shakespeare and <laughs> have done a lot of Shakespeare that I think phi is yep. like, no. Yep. 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 And pure as well. Like it just, it fits. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I tend to say fee. Five fee. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to say fee as well. This was very underwhelming, though, because I know so many people that say fi. <laughs> but hi, if you're listening and you say fi, uh, keep on, you know, shining on. But RPG fan <laughs> is apparently four, four on it being fee, and not for not for no reason. But yeah, she um she never stopped talking in the original, and I always had to kind of like defend the fact that I don't hate her as a character. With the caveat that it's like I'm basing it on a few times where she just gets to exhibit her personality in like main story scenes and she's got that like robotic thing going on that's kind of endearing to me. But no, 90% of the time when she was talking, she was just like you walk into a dungeon room and every single dungeon, if you see like the boss room off to the side, she's like, we'll need a boss key for that. Or you go into like certain dungeon rooms and she's just like master here's an idea and by an idea i mean i'm basically telling you what to do anyway i'll be back in two seconds because your batteries are a little low <laughs> so she she doesn't do that anymore and it's just it's so liberating but when i think about it if i'm being technical the game soars now because they reduced the script and because she's just she's so much less talkative and and she still says a few things every now and then that I, that came across as obvious to me, but not in the sense where I don't see some people, you know, really relying on her. And then she said some things that I had completely forgotten about, but I was I actually thanked her once. I think I said out loud to my TV, this sounds weird, but thank you for that, Faith. <laughs> yeah, that's the number one improvement they did was they just made her calm down. But that sounds like a fantastic way to improve the game because you're right. Like I I never hated her. But I certainly was like, 
getting tired of her constant interruptions and things like that. And I, I actually think you're 100% right. I think that because the Wii was incredibly successful learning in casual gamers, Nintendo went through this phase where they needed to, where they thought they needed to appeal to those players. So they did make a lot of like babies first games. And uh, sometimes it, it's just really funny how certain, like the Wii entries of a lot of series, even if they're not like necessarily user-friendly, they just miss the mark. Like Other M comes to mind, for example, oh, as another mm-hmm. like flagship title that just was a Wii. It should have been a hit, but it just really missed the mark. Um, but then again, the system also has Mario Galaxy, which is the greatest Mario game of all time. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has some some real winners in there. Personally, Twilight Princess is is definitely one of my favorite Zeldas. Um, so it came out swinging really, really nicely for me. And then and then Mario Galaxy. Um, I have a lot of fond memories with Brawl. You know, it was a great system. Mm, yeah, yeah. It just you're absolutely right that like the staple. Well, we're gonna get one of these entries for for several franchises was kind of off uh yeah you could argue that that was because they kept trying to shoehorn motion controls into the game but it sounds like well it sounds like they fixed the two biggest complaints about this game which was the the non-stop tutorials and the motion controls well let me ask you about one or two things that are great about this game while there, it's a very linear game and kind of point A to point B, many people, myself included, and yourself included, think that some of the dungeons are the best in the entire series. I think pound for pound, it may very well have my favorite group of dungeons. Um, you know, the quality goes up and down, but it never dips to the point where I'm just like, this thing is going on too long, or there's not some catchy, innovative concept. Um, every dungeon has some innovative thing going on and that and that gets that expands as the game goes on i think it might peak somewhere around like i don't know the second third of it with certain dungeons you know everybody loves the little like time travel gimmick um everybody loves you know other things i'm i'm not gonna spoil um but yeah no they're really well designed and even though i just complain that fee you know occasionally will just pop in and be like why don't you move X over to Y? Not literally, but like <laughs> even with her doing that, I just, I was in awe, especially, you know, with the increased resolution and that sort of thing, man, like there are dungeons from each of the other 3D Zeldas. Well, maybe not Breath of the Wild, but that's totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of the other 3D Zeldas that are like among my favorites, but Skyward's just got such a good pack. The the puzzles are terrific. The You really need to look around but it never feels like something is like hidden in an absurdist kind of way where it's like, ah, the real solution to this was to swivel your camera around a couple times until you saw something. It, it all exercises your brain. I think it, it kind of feels like big versions of some of the best shrines in Breath of the Wild, uh, hmm. like oh, the whole way through. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I and again, many other people almost consider Skyward Sword to be a prototype for many of the uh, gameplay mechanics that were eventually perfected in Breath of the Wild. For example, there's the stamina meter, uh, there's climbing, there's things like that. And yeah, there are the uh, somewhat more self-contained levels, which do remind you a little bit of the shrines. What do you think about that? Do you like, do you see the direct, I guess, line between these two games? Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially in the, the mechanics that you brought up. There was never a moment... <sighs> while I was running with the stamina meter that I wasn't thinking of, of like breath of the wild 
and how I think I feel like they kind of perfected that with with that one, but it never felt too clunky with me here. I love um, just the the sheer Zelda flavored absurdity of I've got to run real fast. I've got to run real fast. And if I scoop this fruit up just in the nick of time, I can keep running real fast. I can keep, you know, and scoop this fruit up. I, I That's like vintage Skyward Sword to me. I would just carry around like peaches with me everywhere I went and just run. Seriously, seriously <laughs> just never stop. I'm, I don't need a car. I have a bag of oranges. <laughs> <laughs> the climbing and, you know, even the animation, um, it, it shows Link kind of like, exerting himself and sprawling out in ways that I, I find like iconic in breath of the wild now, but then going back, I'm like, wait, that was skyward sword. Obviously just the one big thing where they differ is just the overworld couldn't be more different if, if it tried almost, but, and I think that's why a lot of people basically say, especially people who love breath of the wild and I'm one of them, but I don't say this. I think a lot of people will say, you know, breath of the wild is what it is because it's nothing like Skyward Sword. And I'm just like, eh, let's let's look at like how we celebrate some of the shrine puzzles and go back to Skyward Sword and see some similar gotcha and Eureka moments. You know, let's look at how we celebrate the infusion of a few more RPG mechanics and, you know, thank Monolith Soft for a second time because they pitched in with Skyward and it, it kind of shows, you know, there are things. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's it's as in as many ways as they're radically different. Skyward Sword is a prototype. Yeah, uh, let's let's actually open the floor uh, to ask, you know, does anyone have any thoughts about uh, Skyward Sword or memories or any thoughts? I don't have any more questions. No, I definitely remember playing Skyward Sword when it first came out. And I mean, I'm probably the odd one here in that I don't really like many 3D Zelda games. Like even Ocarina of Time, I don't totally adore. Twilight Princess, I don't really like. And mm -hmm. Breath of the Wild is the only one that I've really gone, oh my God, yeah. And I was really excited when this was announced because like, I don't really like the motion controls. Um, and I agree with a lot of things you've said, Quentin. Like, the things that stick out to me the most about my original playthrough of Skyward are the dungeon design because my God, my God, is Ancient Cistern that good? It's so good. And Coloctus, the boss battle at the end of that dungeon in particular, is one that always sticks with me mm -hmm. but it was like the overbearing tutorials it was the amount of times you had to fight the imprisoned it was the back and forth the kind of lack of openness that really kind of put me off a little bit and like i already don't like how formulaic zelda can be sometimes so forcing me into that linearity i mean they were never going to fix that because that's just how it is um it, it kind of like frustrated me a little bit. So I just lost my way. But like, yeah, the other thing that sticks with me is like the character moments and like in particular the music. I think Skyward Sword, I love Zelda music, even though I'm not like totally in love with this series. I think Skyward Sword might have the best soundtrack in the entire series. I love the rendition of Zelda's Lullaby. Fee's Farewell, I think it is. Um, there's a couple of other tracks as well. Um, so good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I do want to give Skyward Sword another shot, though, especially with this re-release. I'm not sure when, and I'll definitely try the motion controls as well, because, hey, I live on my own now. Nobody has to see me look like an idiot anymore when I play it. So <laughs> just me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in your review really is a really 
balanced reviewers more considering that you're like, oh, it's still really great. But look, there are things that it brings in that are good, some things that are bad and some things that are never going to change, right? Like it, it's a it's a really yeah. it's a really important slice of Zelda history. And I'm glad that they've given it a second shot, I think. Um, can we get Four Swords Adventure next? Or Minish Cap? That would be great. Like all mm. all the two um, Game Boy Color games in like Link's Awakening. I love style. the Game Boy Color ones. Yeah, I'd like that. Oh, I love yeah, them. I do too. Yeah. Audra, do you have any thoughts? Actually, um, just that one day I should play a Zelda game. Ooh. <laughs> I'm one of the I'm one oh. of the few people who hasn't hasn't, it seemed like. Well, I imagine that there are lots of people who have many opinions on which one you should start with. <laughs> yeah, I'd be so hard pressed to just, you know, if if you said right now, Audra, and we had to decide right now for whatever reason, you know, which one should I pick up? What's the best one to start with? You know, I could see people saying a link to the past. I could see that's what I would say. Pick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, then are we just three for three? What is going We're on? Three here? for three. Hey, Audra, play Link to the Past. Link, <laughs> Link to the Past, or maybe Link's Awakening. I haven't played it myself, and I know it's like it's got a different feel to it. Like it's very unusual for a Zelda game, even a top-down two D one. But like that Switch yeah. remake is, you know, other than the frame drops, is pretty damn good, and it's it's available. So yeah, okay. I have to add them to my backlog. I mean, I can almost hear Solosi right now screaming, Link Between Worlds! But, you know. <laughs> Play after Link that's to a the good past. one. I, yeah. I, that's a very good one. Yeah. If you enjoy Link to the Past, then Link Between Worlds is a good follow-up for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much, Quentin, for uh, giving us a heads up about what's improved, what hasn't, and uh, why people should give Skyward Sword another shot, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played it when it was on the Wii. I enjoyed it. I never actually ended up beating it, which is weird because I usually beat every... If I start a game, I pound my head against it until it's done, but I just didn't with this one. Uh, I got to about halfway through and I was like, I'm having a good time, and then I just stopped playing. Um, It just didn't seem to retain me in the same way that the other Zelda games did. So I would very much like to give it another shot. Yeah, definitely. So that's Zelda, which is a beloved series uh, with very, very passionate fans. But there is another series with some extremely passionate fans. Uh, One of them is on this podcast, and it is called Nier. And uh, Nier has... You know, it, it has it has the two big games, but it just released something very interesting, which is a mobile game called Near Reincarnation, and that is in standard Near. Why did they Why did they do this? It's R E in brackets in brackets Carnation. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that has a deeper meaning inside the game, but I just look at it and I'm like, wow, that that is that's Near for you right there, <laughs> Alana. Uh, you picked up the this mobile title and uh you played it and you were a massive massive near fan uh honestly i gotta tell you i don't know that much about the series uh i have i've talked to a few people about it i've listened to podcasts i just edited the rhythm encounter uh near music episode so i know for a fact that the music of the games are just unbelievable mm-hmm. but aside from that it comes very highly recommended and uh what what did you what did you think of this particular title what did you what did you like about it and what did you uh let's let's say not like about it yeah it's difficult because first of all this is a gacha game so i'm sure everyone was aware of that when it came out and you know yoko toro the developer and the chief of the near series for lack of a better term has even like openly joked about in interviews he's gone like oh we're making it a ga- like square enix wanted it to be a gacha game to tie in with the rest of the series so they can make money out of it like he's very like blase about it um so <laughs> you know if you don't like gacha games like i don't and which is why you should probably take any opinions that i have with 
not with a pinch of salt necessarily, but like this is someone who doesn't like gacha games, right? And I still don't, even after near reincarnation. Like it is one of those like you pick up, you log in, you've got 50 million things to do. You won't get anything you want and then you'll do it again tomorrow. You might spend real money and you might not. That's your choice. But like, (laughs) yeah, it's just one of those things that's really complicated because like this is this is canon to the near story and the near universe. So it's the Kingdom Hearts conundrum. It's the, well, actually the Final Fantasy fourteen raids as well for near are canon to the story, apparently, to the near story. So, you know, we're getting a bit of a multiverse here. Um, but yeah, um, near reincarnation is, I don't know whereabouts it falls in the timeline because we don't really know where anything is like there's a couple of hundred thousand a couple of thousand years between replicant and automata so i don't know where this sits um but essentially a girl wakes up and she's trapped inside the cage which is just this big towering structure and she's guided by this little ghost called mama uh to recover her memories and to break free of the cage and all of these like little weapon stories and character stories what she has to piece together in order to understand herself and in like typical near fashion this game looks gorgeous and sounds gorgeous and feels just like automata and replicant i suppose um even more so like i think one of the things that really lends itself well to reincarnation is like it's kind of a shame it's a gacha game and it's got like an rpg combat system because while i was playing it i felt like this would work really well as like a sound novel or a visual novel like i think that the ways it works the best are when the narrator is reading out the dialogue and when the music's just playing and when you get the odd like interactive bit where you like touch the screen to i don't know kill somebody or you open a door for somebody or you pick a flower or something like any of those little things like it felt very it felt like it lent itself more to that genre um so it was kind of annoying when i had to go into combat and be like oh i'll just sit here and tap the screen or let auto do all the work for me um and yeah it's just got this really I think if you're familiar with a near game because i would not tell you to play this first i would probably tell you to go and play replicant first um because now you know the whole series is like readily available um if you've played a near game like you'll know right from starting up the title screen from any of the visuals it's totally a near game like it's claustrophobic it's uncomfortable it's meditative it's thoughtful it's provoking it's everything you'd expect a near game to be on a tiny little screen um right down to the way the words are written on the screen to the character interactions to the way you know mama is appropriately titled because she is extremely like saccharine cloyingly sweet like tells you how to do things gives you tutorials and things like that like everything feels very deliberate about it in a way that makes me feel very uncomfortable and the way that near games are the only ways that make me feel that way and the music is stunningly good as john has already said like near near games always have really good music because Keiichi Okabe and the, his uh, studio Monarcha are brilliant. Like, just go and check out any of their work. Shino Alice has got a brilliant soundtrack. Any of the Tekken games that um, Akabe has composed for as well, brilliant. Um, and the Smash Bros. tracks he's contributed to as well. But, like, here it's, like, really different in, like, it's there's just it's, there's a lot more meditative music. There's a lot more, like, atmospheric music. And, yeah, I think everything, like, works to the advantage of making it feel like a near game 
I just hate playing it. I hate gacha games so much. <laughs> this is the problem. Like, I want to do stuff. Like, if you're gonna, if you're making me like play a game, which I think is why I'm like leaning on the visual novel stance. Like, just make it more choice heavy. Mm. And I get it. Like, you know, Near is an RPG series. And, you know, it's built around that foundation and they're action RPGs. Um, this is a turn-based RPG, so it's different in that respect. And I'm not sure how you'd get an action RPG to work on a gacha game. I'm sure someone's done it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's just boring. It's just the same stuff over and over and over again. You do one fight and then do another fight and then you get more currency to spend on this thing. And, oh, you need another piece of currency to get another character or another weapon or one of the events needs this type of currency. There's, there's, like, there's like 15 different types of currency and mm -hmm. any one event that you do or any one battle that you take part in will only give you one or two types of currency. Like when the game launched, there was an automata event. There were two different automata events and you got a different type of currency from each of those as well as like normal money. But then another event opened up like a week afterwards that had a third type of currency. And then you've got currencies that you need to buy materials to upgrade characters, another one that upgrades weapons, another one that upgrades skills, another one that upgrades companions, another one that upgrades memories and all these different things. And it's just like, it piles up and up and up and up. And like, this is the thing with Gacha, right? You know, you, you want the best characters, you want their best skills. So all of these different currencies, you can either sit and grind for them for hours and it's, it's doable. Like the main story is pretty good at giving you like your basic currency, um, at a good rate, but all the other ones, you need to rerun the same missions over and over and over again. And like, I can, again, I can put it on auto run and get it to do the combat for me while I'm making a cup of tea or like writing something, but it's not very engaging. And that's what really frustrates me. And like, some people don't mind that, but like, to me, like even, even though reincarnation's got this like really brilliantly beautiful atmosphere that I just cannot get enough of, like it, it's draining when all I'm doing is walking from point A to point B, jumping into combat walking again jumping into another combat that feels exactly the same and yeah it, it's like the story isn't good enough like it's still good i think it's written really brilliantly and again it feels like near but there's just not enough there like the thing is with reincarnation is like again the writing's really good but the story's not finished and it's not even finished in japan so we don't know how long it's going to go on for. And like, we've already had one big twist. And interestingly enough, reincarnation has been out in Japan since February. Um, so it's been out six months, seven months, nearly. Um, they got it from, they got it up to chapter six in February. And then they've gradually added, we're up to 11 at the time of recording, both in here. Japan have only just got chapter 12 a month ago. And we only just got the game a month ago. We went up to chapter nine from launch day, but we've already had two new chapters in three weeks. Hmm. We're almost up to date with Japan already. So they're pushing for it. Oh, wow. They're pushing for it, but it means there's so much going on at any one time that it's just like, it, it becomes mandatory. It's not like the mandatory, like, oh, I go on to Stardew Valley and I got to water my flowers today. Oh, I go on Animal Crossing. I want to read my mail today or I do my dailies on 14, something like that. It, it feels more like a chore. And like, 
I'm not getting any reward out of it apart from, oh, there's a pretty portrait of one of my favorite characters. Like, that's nice. But also, I've rolled 300 times and it's taken me so many times to get this one. Do I really feel like fulfilled or anything like that? So, yeah, something in my review I said is like, I think if you like Nier, you'll like, you'll get something out of it. Like, I still get something out of it because. I th- I'm I'm just fascinated by the way that it seems to be like I, it's almost a bit of a joke in the review. Like I'm like this is probably all deliberate. Yokotaro is deliberately probably just like you know it feels like this game is extremely claustrophobic and extremely uncomfortable, and also it's just really overbearing in tone, but also just throwing stuff at me all the time. It's obviously deliberate because it's a Yokotaro game. He wants me to be frustrated with the way it plays, but he wants it to mirror the tone of the game. And it's like come on and I, I you know um but yeah it's just it's it's a lot <laughs> um yeah yeah I, I i it's frustrating because like i knew i would come out feeling like this and i felt the same way about tales of crestoria which was another mobile game that i reviewed last year i think um like it, it just doesn't do enough for me like i need something like gameplay wise which is interesting because i put story above gameplay almost 95 percent of the time mm. but just leaving something on autoplay or just hitting the same buttons over and over again is like it's nothing and like the the reward of getting character models to fight with i have to then regrind to upgrade again it's like it's just not enough for me like again i think people like me will get something out of it and i'll probably still chip away at it really slowly as i go um just because i'm interested in the atmosphere and the characters and things like that but yeah it's 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 frustrating it's it i'm interested to see how it ties into everything but oh gacha why is gacha so popular (laughs) i completely understand and it's a concern that i've had about a lot of uh like square enix has a lot of uh a lot of games coming out in japan and that are they haven't been announced here but like octopath traveler champions of the continent or the new bravely default Mm. game and there are gacha mechanics in both of those and i'm looking at them like i really want to play these but i have an odd feeling that i would just scream in frustration that there's possibly a really good game here, but I can't play it the way I want to play it. Yeah, it's burnout as well, isn't it? Because as I say, it just throws stuff at you and it's like an obligation rather than like something you want to play, right? Like, I don't want that out of anything. Well, there's an argument to be made that gacha mechanics are specifically designed for shorter bursts, like you're on a commute or something like that. Um, Not that really anybody is commuting anywhere nowadays, (laughs) but what do you, like, I'm assuming you played it at home. If you were to play it in a slightly different way, like let's say you had to take the the subway uh, somewhere every day for a couple of hours, do you think that you would enjoy it more then? Maybe. I'm not sure. Like, that's a good point, actually, because it is broken up into chapters and the chapters are only really like 20 minutes to half an hour long. So, like, if I was playing through the story, yeah, and maybe I'd, you know, if I'm on the way back home from work or something, I'd whip out my phone and be like, oh, I can do like a couple of missions or something like that. But like, there's also like 20 other things I could do. Like, I could read a book mm. or I could listen to a podcast or I could, mm-hmm. I don't know, write something. It, there's so many different things. And like, yeah, it's a good point though, because say it is, it is designed to be played in shorter bursts. You're right. And I think that's why the story is broken up the way that it is. Um, but because I'm 100% with you with gotcha mechanics, I'm not a fan, but I feel like gotcha mechanics are specifically designed for a commuter culture Mm. like not a car commute but like a commuter culture where you're on a train you're on a bus you're on a subway um and you have to get up and you kind of have to be paying attention at the same time to make sure you don't miss your stop but it's going to be a while i kind of feel like a lot of these games are designed for that sort of environment 
And that's not how I play games personally. I know it's not how you play games. <laughs> I'm wondering if that's how some people play games and gotcha mechanics work better with that. Probably, yeah. I mean, the commuter culture in Japan is pretty big, isn't it? Like the bullet trains and the transport system over there is pretty damn good and a lot of people use it. So, yeah. And I mean, they make money as well. It's just as simple as True. that. So that's probably why Square Enix keep churning them out. Like, I've heard some good things about Octopath, actually, but I'm still wary about it and like that's mm. why i jumped on this like i'm a huge near fan i want to know what's going on but like it, it's it's just it, it's still not enough it's still not enough for me to go yeah this is a wholehearted yes recommendation this is a yeah if you're like near you probably should at least watch some cutscenes, maybe um but mm -hmm. we'll we'll see where it goes because obviously it's not the story's not finished in japan or here so We've, we don't know how long we've got to go we don't know how long they're going to support it for so out of curiosity i mean i think that a a fairly cynical point of view about this is a lot of these companies, they'll release a gacha game with beautiful graphics and great music and theoretically fun to play. Uh, and then they will, they'll milk it and milk it and milk it until there's nothing left. And then they will fix it and they will basically do the equivalent of hooking it up to a car battery and take <laughs> out all the gacha mechanics and then release it as like a $30 purchase. Then they're like, it's a full game. If they were to take out or alter the gacha mechanics in this game and release it as a standalone full priced game do you think it would play better oh, take out the battle system i'm pretty pretty happy to be honest like i think that's the point that i was making is like yeah i would just like it as a visual novel almost like i i'm invested in what's going on just enough to be able to sit through it but yeah it's the interruptions of the battles and that that are just what i don't really enjoy about it so yeah yeah, I think that could work. That's interesting. And that's, I mean, who knows? That might be the end game for this game. And I know it's been the end game for a lot of, like, Final Fantasy Dimensions 2 is not Final Fantasy Dimensions 2. It was a gotcha Final Fantasy game that they right. stripped out all the gotcha mechanics and they released it as a full title. Yep. And apparently it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I haven't played it because I've heard it's not like Final Fantasy Dimensions <laughs> and I love Final Fantasy Dimensions. But uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about visual novels and how the story might have been better for visual novels. As someone who adores visual novels, or at le very least reviews like all of them, <laughs> Audra, have you any yes. interest in playing this game at all, or or the Nier series in general? I've been very curious about the Nier series. It's on my list to play one day alone with Zelda. <laughs> but um, I would be interested in a VN version of this, definitely, hmm. if the storyline's interesting. Alana, where should uh, where should Audra sh where should she start? She should start with uh, with Replicant. Yeah, I think you could probably start with Replicant, Replicant at this point. They're both available on PS4 now, so but like Replicant happens first and Automata does spoil a few things from Replicant, so ah. yeah, you can play it in that order, definitely. All right. Thank you. So, we're talking about we we mentioned visual novels. Why don't we actually talk about a visual novel? So, Audrey, you played there are two games that you've reviewed very recently. I really want to talk about the second one because it sounds super exciting, but I did want to mention <laughs> yes. the first one because it was a really cool review. Uh, and it looks like a really cool game. Can you tell us a little bit about Ambition, a Minuet in Power? Oh, Ambition, a Minuet in Power is about a French woman who she's going to marry her nobleman fiancé. So she arrives in Paris at the beginning or close to the beginning of the French Revolution, only to find that he's up and left. So she's totally running a household on her own that she has no idea what she's doing and she has to make a livelihood through paris france and the society circles and everything and sell gossip to newspapers to keep herself afloat as one does all while basically 
having to avoid getting to the guillotine. As one does. Yes, as one does. That's where the setting really comes into play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it increases the danger and intensity keeps increasing the more you play it, as things just kind of get progressively worse throughout the history of the time period. See, I, I love that idea that... Uh... Like, I don't, I, I don't know if you have a massive amount of knowledge about pre-revolutionary France, but the fact that they set it in this time period, and it sounds like it's at least somewhat historically accurate in terms of the events, is, is really, really cool. I think it sounds like they really put you in that place. Yes, it's kind of similar. Uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Hakuoki from a Japanese history standpoint. A little bit, yeah. yeah but, personally. Yeah, yeah they, they do enough of the actual historical events to try to have it have a feel of accuracy, which I quite liked. Yeah, historical fiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside, aside from, it sounds like an incredibly uh, ambitious visual novel, yeah. but it also sounds like when a lot of people think visual novel, they kind of think, well, you just kind of click and occasionally you make a choice that determines your path. This sounds like it has a lot more mechanics than just that. Oh, yes. Like as someone who has spent way too much time playing the hostess simulator in Yakuza 0, <laughs> uh, the fashion angle is actually quite interesting to me. Yes, fashion plays a big part in it. You have to keep in mind the various factions at play in Paris and dress accordingly when you're going out to these social gatherings that you can accept invitations to. And it's very interesting. Like you have to keep yourself clothed in new styles all the time and make sure that you're not upsetting anyone by wearing a certain thing to a certain gala or event. See, I love that. I love the idea that you're not just navigating the world based on trying not to anger characters based on the choices that you make in dialogue, but you're even the even passive things like well, mm-hmm. like like the clothes Clothing. or or the gossip that you share. Yeah. I, I like that idea that you're it's not just you're playing this game, but you're navigating this society. Yeah, it's a very it's like a balancing act that you have to keep up in order to avoid basically getting a bad ending. <laughs> a very bad ending. Gee, what would that bad ending be? <laughs> Just pre-revolutionary France, I cannot imagine. Yep. Well, I like. I know that you gave this a pretty good score. You really enjoyed the game. It sounds really cool. It sounds like a great visual novel for people who like it. But the game that I really, really wanted to talk to you about is The Veil, Shadow of the Crown. Yes. Because this game sounds like it's not just... It's something very, very different than what we usually cover, or even what we generally think of as a role-playing game, while still fitting very firmly into that genre. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about The Veil? The Veil Shadow of the Crown is, it's labeled as an audio RPG. So it's, you play the role of Alex, who's a princess who happened to be she happened to be born blind, so she was kind of overlooked by her father for a lot of years, and essentially she gets banished into the Outlands in the beginning of the story and has to fend for herself after a raid happens. And it's literally putting you in the sho- her shoes and her perspective, and so you're relying solely on sound, the there's really not graphics to speak of. It's more just darkness with occasionally colored lights flailing about, but you have to actually still maneuver through the areas and you fight things still. You visit towns and you do you accept quests and you do everything that you do in a fully fledged RPG just without graphics really. Oh my god. It's so cool. I I wanna jump in for just one sec on that one. Um since I, I do the RPGs coming this week column, of course, and 
Um, so that one came up obviously quite recently. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I do, this is kind of, you know, I've kind of gotten into a groove on how to write it is um, I'll look for like a pretty good spiffy image for each game. And so, you know, I'm looking at the the page for this one and I'm like, I can't seem to find one. What's going on here? And that's when I read, you know, I started reading about it and it just the concept of it hooked me so much, you know? Yes, it's a great, it opens, I don't want to say it opens the eyes of the of people who aren't maybe visually impaired mm-hmm. to, but you really get the perspective of having to rely on sound and hearing for it. And it's made with visually impaired people in mind so that they can actually play a game which I isn't love that. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's fully narrated and even like the weapons they'll give you stats audio stats on what they do and stuff when you want to increase your skills and everything oh that's cool so all of the menus are also audio based mm-hmm. wow yeah everything's totally narrated see i'm having trouble this is i'm having trouble imagining this simply because it's it's just not in my frame of reference. But that's one of the reasons I really, really want to play it, because I love the idea that there's this game that will specifically challenge my idea of, of I guess, uh, the sensory input of a video game mm-hmm. and interactivity. Like, in my mind, the visuals are, even if they're terrible or low-poly or, like, pixel-based, they're always there. It's always been there. And the idea that even for even like for a text adventure you still have the text on the screen but the idea that all of that is removed and the mechanics are still recognizable as rpg mechanics is really hard for me to imagine and i really really am intrigued by it i loved playing it i thought it was such a great experience just everything about it was really polished and fine-tuned it's definitely one that you'd want to play with a headphone headset right Mm. yeah it seems like a very i mean ignoring the fact that obviously it's a very auditory experience yeah i I had tried playing it just using my speakers on my computer before and you really get a sense with the headsets of the directions of people footsteps are coming in and which helps you target for attacks and stuff and it was really unique yeah the steam page the steam page even like specifically states um if at all possible use a headset, try to use like the best one, you know, that sort of thing. And it's, it's tough not to see why. I mean, that's just, I think this game should be like shouted from rooftops on, on big sites. It's like, yes. Yeah. Especially because it's good. I mean, even if it wasn't, you know, but like, this is a revolution, I think. I mean, I kind of, I'd heard about it and I almost assumed it was just going to be maybe kind of an audio visual novel type deal yeah that's what i thought too when i was looking at it and i thought it's it's just going to be like a, a visual novel but audio based but that's not what it is no and i played it it's a fully it's a completely full-fledged rpg experience you're just not you happen to be playing so and you're playing her role so you actually are seeing it from her perspective so what's combat like then anyway is it like so they give you like options and I don't know, actually. I don't even know. I can't even imagine what it would be like. It's almost um, kind of an action RPG combat system. You listen for the sounds of footsteps and, like, um, wolves coming closer when they snarl at you and stuff. And depending on the direction that the sound is coming from, you can then target using the stick controllers okay oh my gosh wow and you can even later on you get magic spells that you can actually use too and you get a shield that you can block and parry with 
I mean, it's a very complex system, actually, but I found it easy enough to to learn thanks to the tutorials they set up. Oh, wow, mm. yeah. As a comic book nerd, you're telling me all this, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, I it would be awesome if someone released like a Daredevil <laughs> RPG yeah. using this kind of mechanics. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, seriously. What? Okay, ignoring the fact that obviously it's very audio-based and you, you need to be able to hear the sounds around you, what's the quality of the sound like? Like, how's the voice acting? How's the music? Oh, the voice acting is incredible. I loved all of the characters, especially Alex was an emotive heroine. She was just great throughout the whole thing. Her uncle is who you hear in flashbacks a lot of the time is perfectly voiced and just you get the sense from him that he's like the strict but loving uncle and who looked out for her when her father didn't and stuff. And probably one of the best characters voiced is um he's known only as Shepard. And he's he has like a great accent from because he's from the Outlands and it's just oh, the way they have him and Alex's dialogue together it's it was really phenomenally done. He kind of serves more as like her guide throughout as she's trying to traverse the Vale, and so it's like they play off each other really well. And just yeah, the voice acting was absolutely phenomenal. Even the narrator woman was she had a great tone to her and very clear and concise. Music was a bit more subtle. I don't think I think they wanted to not to avoid having it overwhelm mm. the sound effects. That makes full amount of sense, especially if it's the only thing you're relying on for your input is the sounds around you. Yeah. So they had it in a few scenes, and it was very nice, very low key, but soft and fitting for the the tone at the time. But they uh, relied a lot on just the overall sound effects to build the atmosphere. And they used a lot of descriptive wording for to describe just how the world was set up and what the people looked like. Mm. I mean, it, it really it paints a picture even when there are no images to be seen. Right. And I think sound design, like even outside of like something where you need really good sound design, it's really underappreciated anyway. So when you're like forced to pay attention to things like that, it really... It really draws out just how important it should be for everybody. Like, I, I, it's funny because, like, there's not many. I can't think of another game that even implements anything similar. Like, maybe with sound effects, absolutely. Like, you need to hear, like, footsteps going off on, like, horror games and things like that. But, like, not in the sense of, like, narration that actually tells you, like, what you can choose between or, like, when it's you need so to It's so good. And I think, like, we were like, saying, like, so, you know, mm -hmm. websites should, like, shout the rooftops from it. Absolutely. But, like, I think developers should also take note because, like, how this is the first time I've ever really seen anything like this is the whole game, like successfully anyway. Definitely. There was a lot of thought and effort put into it and it really shows. Yeah. That's the thing that's really striking to me is that this kind of thing could easily have been an experiment uh, where it's a, a short demo or a short game or a proof of concept, but it really sounds like they, well, I mean, you gave it a 93, so you obviously yeah. loved it. Yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> so it, they they didn't just make a demo, they made a game. They made an RPG without visuals, and that's crazy amazing. Yeah, I mean, I just loved even doing just the quests, walking around, like you have to, there's one where you have to find beehives at a certain point, following just the sound of the bees, but you have to do it in a quick way because it turns out Shepard's allergic to bees. <laughs> oh, no. There's a real visceral, like, sound of bees right. flying around, just the mm. thousands of them. And I imagine that 
would be a would create a visceral reaction in a game like this or like the sound of wolves growling at you yes the wolves were very unsettling especially towards the end when they're they became um kind of demonic wolves i mean dark rooms in video games are designed for like jump scares a lot of the time or things like that but in this particular case it's not a jump scare it's just the world that she is living in that alex is living in and as a result of that i don't imagine that it's it's it sounds like she's very empowered in the game. It doesn't sound like it's like a helpless thing. It sounds like she becomes, well, quite a bad actually. She is. She's very bad which I quite liked. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a kind of game that I actually would like to uh, take a look at, and I might just do that because my, like I said, I'm in New Glasgow right now, and my graphics card is in Toronto. So... I, have, I can't really run any graphically intensive games right now, but this doesn't sound graphically intensive. This sounds like it might be just right. Oh, yeah. And I might just give it a shot. I definitely would recommend trying it out if you just want something different. And I do. So this sounds amazing. Uh, does anyone have any other thoughts about uh, about The Veil? Only that I need to pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that alone, really. And the fact, I think empowering is a really good way of putting it because, like, you know, they could have done it and it could have been gimmicky. I mean, like, I, I hate to bring up a game called The Quiet Man, if anyone remembers that. Yeah, that was incredibly unfortunate. Yeah, like that tried to um, use sound, didn't it? And it just ended up being awful and also a little bit offensive. Um, um, yeah. And like, this is like, absolutely like, first and foremost, like use the mechanics really well, but also like, you want to empower the character or the person playing it, really. You, you know, if mm -hmm. you can play a video game based on sound cues alone that's something really special isn't it so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pick this up i think i mean audrey you've completely sold me on it like i Aww. saw it on coming this Same. week and was like "Ooh!" and then i saw Audrey's review today and was like oh my god okay i need to pick this up so same yeah same awesome <laughs> it sounds amazing and i think that it will be a, a memorable experience I want to keep going now and move on to the discussion question, but I just wanted to mention real quick that uh, I've talked about Dreamscaper on the podcast before because I, I did the preview for the E3 presentation and I, I wrote a review for it and it's out now. I love it. I just <laughs> love it. Roguelike games have never really hit me in the right way. This one does. And I think the reason why is because it's very grounded. The reason why it's a roguelike, like the central conceit is it's in your dreams every night. So every night you fall asleep, every night you wake up from your nightmare. And that's the reason why your progress gets reset. And it's basically, it's you trying to get as deep into your dreams as possible uh, and face your traumas in the dreams. And as you face your trauma in these dreams, uh, you unlock new ideas, new experiences, uh, and that affects your life in the real world, uh, where you are feeling very socially isolated. Isolated, You can make friends, you have to build up your relationships, and those relationships build up your abilities in the dreams. As someone who, among many people, have uh, mental health issues, it felt very empowering to play this game. I loved it. I just thought it was, it's a beautiful, beautiful game too. Extraordinarily unique visual style. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking for a good roguelike, if you loved Hades and you're like, I want some more roguelike, uh, Dreamscaper is a very underrated place, I think, to get your roguelike fix. And it's an RPG too, so I highly recommend it. If you want more, it's in my review, but 
Just wanted to mention it. I haven't played too many roguelikes, so I might give it a shot. Definitely. It's pretty great, and it's a small team. I talked to them I, I talked to them briefly on the quote-unquote show floor for E3, and they seem like really, really nice people, super passionate about this game. They It's been in early access for about a year now, and from what I've seen and from what they said, it really looks like they made the most of that time. The game is absolutely packed full of content. It's it's not a quick, you're not going to breeze through it. And it's it's really, really hard in places. Obviously, it gets easier as you as you get some more uh, abilities. But uh, yeah, I I highly recommend it. Yeah, I wasn't aware of like the mental health aspect of it. Because like, I'm one of the people who did get hooked on Hades last year. And interestingly enough, like Hades was also in early access for about a year. And it's nice to see like these two like roguelikes roguelites whatever you want to call them like yeah. do that development period take on the feedback and then come out and be like a rip-roaring success basically because like i've seen like really positive buzz for dreamscaper like everywhere and me too yeah i'm really really interested in it especially given that it does tackle things like insomnia and mental health in ways that not only are just narratively but also like take on like the roguelike elements like the randomness and like how it impacts every day differently things like that so i think it could be a really interesting way to see it oh yeah so your review again like i saw your thoughts on e3 um and i saw your review and was like yeah this is just the roguelike genre also never really gripped me until Hades, and now I want to play every single roguelike that ever came out. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, especially if it's got like an interesting twist to it, and that's Dreamscaper's like visual style alone, and the music, um, completely. The music stunning. is gorgeous. Yeah, Del North is brilliant. So yeah, Adam wrote a review for the music. Uh, I think I'll, I'll include it in the show notes. Um, and I think the soundtrack is now available for purchase, and I'm pretty sure it's available for streaming as well. Ooh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's some good study music, just just some nice some nice relaxing tunes. Um, I'm a big fan. Uh, the whole package, the game is just. I think the game just rocks. I think it's great. I really wish this team all the best uh, with this game and with anything they create in the future. So let's move on to our uh, our, our semi weekly discussion question. Um, and this time, I'm not going to provide it. This week, we have gotten uh, we have gotten some fan mail. Greg is going to be very, very jealous because he always asks for <laughs> fan mail, and the fan mail comes in while I'm hosting. So, <laughs> sorry, Greg. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, here, I'm just going to read the message for you. It's from uh, Mission Failed. Their name is Mission Failed on Twitter. Hi, Jono. Just wanted to reach out and say congrats. You did a fantastic job hosting your first episode of Random. Uh if you're after a quick topic for an episode, I'd be interested to know what the first RPG everyone remembers playing, uh, and which was the first RPG that you ever rolled credits on. The first I remember was playing Wonder Boy in the Monster World on the Master System, barely an RPG, and the first I beat was Chrono Trigger. Thanks again for the great podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you very, very much for the question. FYI, for anyone out there, uh, Mission Failed does stream, so you can check them out at Mission Failed YT on Twitch. And I think it's a really good question. Uh, two questions, technically. So which is the first RPG everyone remembers playing and which is the first RPG that you ever rolled credits on? I'll go first because I just sprung it on everyone and I want to give you some time to think. Uh, my answer is the same for both of them, really. It's Final Fantasy IV slash II. I, uh, I remember, I, I've told this story before. I remember renting it from Abercrombie Video. It was... Oh, that's another thing. I'm in New Glasgow, so I think I'm going to just include a photo from Abercrombie Video in the show notes just so everyone can actually know what it looks like because I keep talking about the bloody place. <laughs> the graphic. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy IV was the first one. I picked it up. I didn't know what an RPG was. Uh, there were a bunch of save files. I just grabbed the first one and it loaded me up in the final dungeon. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was in the final dungeon 
uh, and I just kind of like wandered through and was trying to figure out what goes on. Eventually I figured out, oh, I can start a new game. And then I started a new game and I instantly fell in love with the idea that this was a video game that I could read because I was very, very much into books. I loved reading. It was my passion when I was a child. And all of a sudden it was like words, words in a video game. That's, that's madness. And uh, that's what started my lifelong love of role-playing games. And yeah, I played it through. I kept renting it until eventually my parents decided that it would be a better, uh, it'd be smarter just to buy it because it'll cost less money. And uh, I got to the credits. It took me forever to beat the last boss in that game. I could never beat the last boss. It took me it must have taken me like a month of trying to fight him. Nowadays, if I start it up, I can beat him like every single time. But back then, I was a kid. I didn't know what cure was. Um, <laughs> Theramus can be a pain anyway, but yeah. Big Bang is a <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was mine. Uh, what about everyone here? What what was your first game, first RPG you ever played and first RPG you ever rolled credits on? Oh, mine was... Was it something... Final Fantasy Saga or Final Fantasy Legend? It, I think it would be Legend. Would be the it was a saga game, but it was named Final Fantasy Legend. Oh, here. okay. Yeah, it was. Um, you have game. played a saga game. I have. <laughs> Revelation Not, time. I don't remember it too well, but it was um on my cousin's Game Boy, and I just picked it up out of curiosity and kind of thought it was interesting, but then kind of put it down and lost interest as kids are want to do no i do that when it, I, I do that when i play a saga game too <laughs> oh this looks interesting uh, oh i'm gonna put this ooh. down now <laughs> and then, first of all rude <laughs> we used to it <laughs> and then years later i finished final fantasy 7 was my first that's a good that's a good uh first rolling credits game i think it's i think a lot of people feel that way about it that's the first rpg they ever beat yeah it was pretty probably my first real rpg experience that i remember more than just vaguely <laughs> um i'll go next um and this is actually i have to work backwards here from uh the first one i beat to the first one i played and there's a reason for that uh the first one that i beat was also final fantasy 7 um i had the same reaction that you did the like words in a video game i love books what is happening here um I borrowed my friend's copy of the game and like the strategy guide. And I remember like not really spoiling myself, but kind of peering ahead to see how long the game was. And I, I got to like Shinra HQ and I was like, the game isn't over yet. This is crazy. <laughs> so needless to say, there were like another 90 pages or whatever. Absolutely love it. You know, you know, typical story there. Uh, I used to cite it for the longest time as the first RPG I played. And I was always like, first RPG I played was one of my favorites. I love FF7. It wasn't until like, I don't know, eight or nine years ago that I realized I've been telling people, including myself, a lie. Like my whole my whole gaming life. The first RPG I played was <laughs> Everything I, You Do is a lie. <laughs> yes. yes. I, I saw this game kind of like, you know, looking at lists and stuff, and it was it was the first video game I ever played. I was like four, and I was like, wait, that was an RPG. OMG. It's uh sort of Vermilion for the Sega Genesis. And oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had I had a, a Genesis to play because my uncle was like living with my my grandmother and my mother. We were all living together when I was a kid. And um I just looked at it and it was like, you know, hey, I like swords, I like sorcery, I don't know what's going on. I had no idea that it was like this kind of important game. It was like produced by Yu Suzuki, you know, from like Shenmue fame and Virtua Fighter. Um, Hiroshi Kawaguchi, uh, who's done a lot of like Sega soundtracks, was was on that. 
Um, at the time, I, I was I was horrible at it. I never got very far. But um, reading up on it, like it, it filled me with this gush of memories I completely forgotten. It's an interesting game. It has like four different views and play styles. Um, so the town view uses the typical like overhead angle found in you know most RPGs. But then there's a battle view, which is tilted overhead view. The player takes like full control of the character in real time combat. Uh, this is where I kept dying. Uh, <laughs> the player can use weapons <laughs> and magic. I was just mashing buttons. I mean, the other game I was playing was Sonic the Hedgehog. I understood go right from left, you know. Um, and then dungeon view. This is where I kept getting confused. Uh, it's a first person perspective, so it's like Fantasy Star. And um, my goodness, everything looks the same. And also, when you get into battles in the dungeon view, it's just like a hack and slash. It's not the same thing as as battles in the more RPG sense. And then finally, there's a boss view, which puts the player up against a boss from a sideways viewpoint. So suddenly you're playing like Adventure of Link, kind of. I mean, it's trying to be so many different things. And and it completely overwhelms me. Um, and I used to just eat oatmeal and play the very first town and talk to people and then give up. I don't know, like so many times, but um, I, I want to play it again and it really br- crushed me. I almost got the Sega Mini, but it was one of the games that only got released on uh, the Japanese one and got replaced by something here. I was like, no, Aww. there is there is at least one person in the Western Hemisphere who cares. <laughs> uh, it's funny you say that because as soon as you started talking about the game, I went to Google and typed in Sword of Familian RPG and the first thing that came up was our site. And then I was like, oh, that's not really useful. And then I went a few down. I was like, huh, here's a post from Reset Era. Has anyone here played Sword of Vermilion? Was it by me? Yeah, I'm like, I have a strange history with this game. When I was about four years old, I inherited this. This story sounds familiar. Amazing. And then I look and I'm like, oh my. moderator, I'm like, Quentin. I'm one of the, I'm truly, truly attestant to this game. Oh my gosh. Wow. I better do something about this. I need to call up Yu Suzuki or something. Oh, God. I'm like, I, hey, uh, I'm one of the first Google results. Speaking from like a position of authority here. Hey, I would call, if I was you, I'd call up Solosi and just be like, hey, I have a pitch for a retro episode. <laughs> yes. There you go. Because we do not have an episode about this game. And uh, yeah, it could be interesting. So uh, that's not a promise, by the way. Solosi has what you could only describe as a massive backlog of retro games that we need to get through. On the, but that seems like it should be added to the list. Mm. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, uh, Alana, what about you? Um. So I've got one. This will date me as the baby. So I'm very sorry, everybody. Um. But to, it's, I've, <laughs> I've got the same answer for both. Although it's I don't I have like a separate answer. So this is like the first RPG I played and beat but played it with somebody else so me and my brother emulated pokemon yellow before it came out in europe that was the very first rpg i ever played and interestingly enough like it was i just had a really fun time with it um it it taught me a lot like you were talking about text and things like that and i think like pokemon is one of those series that taught me words that i didn't know at like five years old like astonish and things like that so um, I was just interested. Tall grass. Yeah, tall grass. Tall grass. <laughs> I mean, I'm a small Never person. I'm not it. that small, but like the t- most grass is tall grass to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was just, it, I mean, Pokemon is a really great star RPG anyway. And like, it's one of those series I'd probably recommend. And like, if 
I have had kids, it would be one of the first things I would ever get, um, like get yeah. them to play. Absolutely. Um, also because things are cute in it. Um, but yeah, that was me and my brother played that through. He'd played a few RPGs because I'd watched him play things like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII. I'd seen him play Zelda games. Um, but probably the first RPG I'd be on my own is Final Fantasy IX. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just... There's nothing really special to say about either of them other than like they were just pretty formative. Like Pokemon was one of my favorite series for a long time. Final Fantasy IX is my favorite Final Fantasy. So yeah, they both just really stuck with me and got me hooked on the genre. Well, I think those are all outstanding uh, answers. And actually because of them now I know you a little bit better and so do our listeners. So that is the, that is the epitome of a good question. If anyone listening has any questions they want to ask, uh, just fire. I'll I'll have my contact information at the end of the episode. Fire me or Greg off a uh, a question, and we will uh, we'll address it on the show. Speaking of just things, so at, we're we're at the end of the episode now, but there there's a little bit of housekeeping that I want to do. Uh, the first is as an announcement about random encounter, and that is that we are moving. So we usually post our episodes biweekly on a Friday or a Saturday, but we're going to be moving that to Mondays from this point on. And we're going to be doing that because Rhythm Encounter posts bi-weekly on Mondays. So we're going to be alternating with them. So what's going to happen is you're always going to have two podcasts from RPG Fan every week. You're going to have a Rhythm Encounter and a Retro Encounter at the end of the week. And then you're going to have a Random Encounter and a Retro Encounter at the end of the week. Ooh. So that the, we're getting on a schedule. So it's going to be bi-weekly from now on, two podcasts a week from RPG Fan. Uh, we're going to be starting, this is fun, uh, I'm going to have to record an extra episode next week because to do so, to get on this schedule, I need to post an episode on September 6th. <laughs> so it's going to be posted a little bit early, so uh, yeah, just keep keep a heads up about that. Speaking of Random Encounter, uh, we have a massive backlog of episodes for you You can discover. They make for just great things to listen to on on your non-existent commute. If you don't want to play a gotcha game, listen to a random encounter. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. A couple of days ago, because I was hosting, I thought, I, I think I'm going to brush up on my random encounter history. So I, I downloaded a few old episodes and I downloaded one called Too Much Dragon Quest from October 20th, 2016. And it started with Rolf Steinman introducing everyone on the episode. And I genuinely did a full out spit take when he said, Caitlin is here, so that probably means we're going to talk about Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, and I was like, wow, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I think that's, from this point on, that's how I'm going to introduce Caitlin every single time she shows up on the episode with those exact <laughs> words. Caitlin is here, so that means we're probably going to talk about Final Fantasy XIV. Um, but uh, Random's not the only RPG-focused podcast we have because we are RPG fan. We also have our weekly podcast focusing on all things retro, Retro Encounter. It's hosted by Mr. Mike Solosi, the tireless Mr. Mike Solosi. And we have some, obviously, we have some great episodes of that in the backlog as well. I'm going to be showing up on one in a few weeks. I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> um, Rhythm Encounter is back, and I am delighted to announce that I'm also going to be hosting the next episode. It should be out next week. The topic is going to be Ace Attorney music. Mm. And I had an absolute blast talking about the music of Ace Attorney because I love the series and I love the music. And uh, the folks on the podcast with me were just wonderful. Uh, and I just finished editing the episode after that, and it is uh, featuring the music of Nier, which, as you've heard, is absolutely phenomenal. And it includes Alana, so be sure to listen for that episode. Please do. It was a great one to record, actually. There's a lot of a lot of things were discussed. So yeah. Yes, there is much silliness in the episode too. So 
<laughs> and and Alana is in the heart of much of the silliness, of as Alana can, I can be. be. As she as she tends to be. Yes. <laughs> as she tends to be, yes. And uh, I don't want to forget about our partner podcast, Phoenix Edge with Hat and Eric. Uh, they go the extra mile every week or the extra kilometer for Alana and I. Uh, and that uh, they keep everyone in the loop about are the all the RPG news coming down the pipe. And I suspect that there's going to be quite a bit of it because Gamescom is coming up from August 25th to 27th. So there's going to be a ton of RPG news, I oh, suspect. Yeah. There always is. And I, heck, if because we're doing the episode a week early, we'll probably look at some of that news uh, in our in our thing. So we're gonna we're gonna steal the news hat for a little bit and talk about some of the news. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can find me at John O'Logan on Twitter, or you can send us your questions, your love, your criticism, anything you want to podcast at rpgfan.com. And we also have some guests on the podcast, so. Uh, why don't we tell us? Uh, Alana, where can we find you online? Uh, so best place is probably Twitter. I am at Alana Hagues on there. Or if you're part of the RPG Fan Discord, I am Alana on there. So just come hit me up. Cool. Audra, where can we find you? My email's probably the best bet. It's um, B at rpgfan.com. And uh, Quentin, can you tell us where we can find you? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Quentin Writes uh, because I'm Quentin and I write. And it's been a little while since I made that terrible joke on a podcast so here we are again hello old joke yeah yeah that's my primary venue um if you'd rather shoot me an email i'm uh quentin and then the letter c at uh rpgfan.com it's a little bit of a niche web domain but i secured a spot on there um and and yeah one or the other i'm i'm out there yep and uh and uh they will get back to you as long as they're not lost in the woods (laughs) yes yes don't do that by the way, it, it wasn't as fun as it sounds. And yeah, so that's all from us this week. Uh, we'll be back in, I guess, a week and a half with a new episode on Monday. Remember, it's going to be on Mondays, alternating Mondays from this point on. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again in a week and a half. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody. <laughs>